Texas thing on. Where... <laughs> this is the Rookie Sports Report, hosted by Matthew Frizzell. Four runs off the Detroit Tigers, who are the 10th worst in all of baseball. And Logan Weber. But this man was swallowed whole by a whale. Presented by 96.9, 99.9, and AM 1060, ESPN, The Jock. Everybody love everybody! Come on! Cardinals actually play the Tigers. Coming up, two-game series in St. Louis. Hopefully it's a hell of a lot better series than it was in Detroit. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Rookie Sports Report podcast. Here, wherever you listen to your podcast, Ankle, or Ankle, Anchor. That's like, um, yeah, Anchor. Sure. Are you on probation and listening to this podcast via your yeah. ankle bracelet? I'm I've just, had, I'm confused. I've had multiple ankle problems in my past because I carry a lot of weight on my legs, or I used to at least. I still do, but uh, no, I had a lot of ankle issues growing up in high school. But anyway, I said meant to say Anchor or Spotify or now Apple iTunes podcast. However you're listening to us, we appreciate you listening to us here on a Tuesday, Matthew Rizzo, alongside Logan Weber. Um, really the big news going on last night, I saw on Twitter, this new Spider-Man movie that's coming out, the official trailer came out. Yep. I haven't seen it fully, but I know you're a Marvel geek, so I'm sure you've seen it and seen it multiple times and analyzed it and have made 15-minute reaction videos on YouTube about it. Nothing and- <laughs> nothing to that extent yet, uh-huh. but I, I've seen, Not I watched yet, the trailer... Yeah. <laughs> Three or four times through. Um, of course, like I got on TikTok this morning when I woke up, and that was only the only thing on my for you page was just people like trying to go in depth and analyze the crap out of this this No Way Home trailer. They're trying to find like where Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, right, like where the original Spider Mans fit into this scenario. And and but I mean, I'm so excited. The trailer looked so good. I cannot wait for this movie. Um, the Eternals is getting ready to come out. Which is another? It's another Marvel movie to add onto the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the the trailer for that looks good. That movie looks good as well. It's got some great actors in it. Angelina Jolie's in it, um, along with oh I can't remember his name, but he was in Rocket Man, um, the the Elton John biopic, and he was also in Game of Thrones. He was in that as well. So it's got some really good actors in it. But you mentioned the Tigers. And I want to talk about something in terms of a, a player for the Detroit Tigers. And I feel like you know, pretty much anybody who follows sports knows where I'm going with this. Miguel Cabrera finally hit his 500th home run. And, you know, I was listening to Freddie and Fitzsimmons yesterday here, here, here at work on ESPN The Jock. And they brought up a great point. Why is nobody talking about it? I mean... It's baseball? Like, they don't want to talk about headlines like that? Baseball is a sport that is... To be honest, I mean, I'm not going to beat around the bush with you. And I know there's a lot of people, a lot of old heads are going to disagree with me, but baseball is a dying sport. Oh, yeah. People aren't watching baseball anymore. People our age are not as invested in baseball as generations past. They're just not. Okay? And yes, it's because we have a smaller attention span. Because everything is right at our fingertips at all times. And basketball and football, they're more. it's more high-paced. There's more going on. There's more action and things like that. Versus baseball where, I mean, you know... Guy walks up to the plate, takes ball one, and then it's 35 seconds before the next pitch comes. You know, it's there's a lot of wait and see with the game of baseball. But when you have a great storyline, why are you not talking about it? You know, you're hammering, you're hammering the Shohei Otani thing, the 
Fernando Tatis thing. All these different storylines. But when a great story comes out about a great player in Major League Baseball, not just a great player, but a great person. Like anybody who has played against Miguel Cabrera for or against, you know, been a teammate with or been an opponent of, has had nothing but good things to say about Miguel Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera his entire career. Why is it not being talked about? He had his 500th career home run. You know, it becomes the 28th player in Major League Baseball history to reach that feat. He joins Sammy Sosa, uh, Albert Pujols, David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, and Rafael Palmeiro as the only foreign-born players to reach that milestone. He's the first player from Venezuela to ever get to 500 career home runs. And, you know, as of right now, he's got a career batting average of 311. You know, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You want to go to Cooperstown? Fine, you can hit home runs. But if you get on base two, that looks really good. Miguel Cabrera is arguably the best first baseman in the history of Major League Baseball. One of. He is one of the best. You want to put him alongside an Albert Pujols or, um, you know, Johnny Bench. Guys like that. Johnny Bench played catcher, but he but was also, he he was first, also a first yeah. baseman. I'll save his knees. So, uh, Paul Canerco, stuff like that. But Paul Canerco didn't hit for average. He struck out a lot. Hit for home runs. Yep. He did. hit 600-plus. Miguel Cabrera is one of the best first basemen in the history of Major League Baseball. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no doubt about it. But the guy is a 500 home run hitter and also 300 career batting average for his career. One of the only, I mean, he is one of five guys in the last 75 years in Major League Baseball to do that. Hank Aaron, Frank Thomas, Willie Mays, and Manny Ramirez are the other four. He is now chasing 3,000 career hits. He's 45 hits away from that. And he's two runs away from reaching 1,500 career runs. Uh, I mean, that's another major milestone. He is, obviously, he he hasn't said he's going to retire. So I would imagine, if I'm Miguel Cabrera, I'm going to come back and play next season. Because you're staring down, he's 45 hits away from 3,000. From he could theoretically reach that this year, but he would need to go on a tear in the last month, month and a half of this season to get to that point. I don't see that happening. Nah, he'll have to go back next so, year if he wants to. He'll probably be 10 or 12 hits away from 3,000. And when you're that close, I don't know anybody that's going to be like, nah, I think I'm just going to hang it up. Yeah. He would become just the seventh player in Major League history to have 3,000 career hits and 500 career home runs. Joining Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Rafael Palmero, Albert Pujols, Alex Rodriguez, and Eddie Murray. Seven All guys, Famers, except A Rod, probably. Yeah, seven guys in Major League Baseball history have ever reached that point, and he would be the second first baseman to ever reach that point. Um, I mean, was Palmero? Palmero was like a catcher slash first baseman, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, A Rod was a shortstop, then a third, third baseman. baseman. Um, Hank Aaron was an outfielder. Willie Mays was an outfielder. Um, so. It's one of those things. I'm not sure what position Eddie Murray played. He played first. Okay. Eddie Murray was a, was a first baseman. So, he is in elite, elite territory. Eddie Murray played a lot more, according to this, he played a lot more uh, designated hitter throughout his career. Um, he played a lot of DH because he was in Baltimore, which is in the AL East. So, he played a lot of DH and a lot of... I mean, he did played more DH late in his career than he did first base. Mm-hmm. So... Um, which I mean, I guess you could say the same thing for Miggy, but he sort of he started out as a third baseman, and then went to first base, and now he I mean in the last two or three years he's done a lot more DHing right. as well. Which, Body ages, yeah. You know, if I'm Miguel Cabrera, I'm absolutely flustered by the fact he could he was probably already be at 500 career home runs and 3,000 hits without COVID 
and the COVID shortened season last year. True. You know, that's just one of those things. That's but you true. mentioned you mentioned the Detroit Tigers and their upcoming series against the Cardinals. So I felt like that needed to be discussed because nobody seems to be talking about it. It was just like it right, you saw it on Twitter. Right? Like MLB's Twitter page was like, Congrats to Miguel Cabrera for hitting five hundred career home runs. And then it was done. Nobody was talking about it anymore. It's crazy. He's the twenty eighth player ever. Twenty eighth person in the history of the world to hit five hundred home runs in Major League Baseball. Twenty eighth person ever. And nobody's talking about it. And thousands upon thousands, hell, maybe even millions of players have put on a jersey for a major league team, and he's, like you said, the 27th, 28th player to hit 500 home runs. And, you know, I completely agree with you. Baseball is just a dying sport, dude. Like, it's marketed terribly. Um, What also doesn't help is the fact that even if you do like baseball, so say, for example, I live down here in Springfield and I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan, well... I can't obviously go to all the St. Louis games, so I'd like to watch them streaming-wise on, say, I don't know, MLB.tv or MLB.com. Games gets blacked out if you're within a certain mile range. That's total BS, dude. That is terrible. Rob Manfred and company needs to work on that along with a lot of other things. But, no, I, I, I completely agree. I can't believe the fact that this isn't being talked about enough. This man has hit 500 career home runs, right? And yet he has a career batting average of 311. Even though he's batting, you know, down in the 200s now because of age and just how the body wears and tears and he plays for Detroit, which obviously isn't a hitter-friendly ballpark. But the fact that it's not being talked about enough is very, very concerning and very, very upsetting. Because hitting 300 or getting 300 hits with 500 home runs and batting 300 over a career, you're in GOAT status. You're in – there's Hall of Famers in those – those guys that are legends, the Hank Aarons, the Willie Mazes of the world, the Babe Ruths. So the fact that this isn't talked about enough is very, very concerning and very, very sad. Because yeah. it's also sad from the fact that we grew up watching two of the best first basemen of all time playing, and now they're in their twilight years. Pujols is 41. Miggy, he's either in his 40s or in his late 30s. I can't think off the top of my head how old he is. Maybe he's 38, 39. But we watched these two guys become Hall of Famers as we were growing up watching the game. And the fact that it's not talked about enough and it's just becoming that time, like you said, father time stays undefeated. It's sad. It's sobering. Yeah. So you you asked me how many guys have played in Major League Baseball. They are currently closing in on 20,000 career players in the history of Major League Baseball. So 28 guys out of 20,000, that is... 0.14%, 0.14% of players in the history of Major League Baseball have hit 500 career home runs. And he's about to become just the seventh guy out of 20,000 to have 3,000 career hits and 500 career home runs. That is 0.035%. That's unreal. That is an unreal Number, I mean, that percentage just makes your, like, you can't even, like, fathom it. Yeah, you can't even see that percentage. I mean, we are talking about a guy that, you know, is a top five player in Major League Baseball over the last 20 years. And, you know, I, he's been in Detroit, and Detroit hasn't been great um, for a lot Not of his a good career there. Either. What? Not a good market no, either. Like, but he did. I mean, he is, to Los Angeles. he's a World Series champ. 
He won a World Series very early in his career when he was in Seattle, Florida. Oh, it was, it was the Florida Marlins. I don't know why I, get I said those two Seattle. Up too. For whatever reason, I always want to think, oh, yeah, it's the Florida Mariners or the Seattle Marlins. Nuts. Seattle it's, Mariners, Florida Marlins. Yeah, for, yeah. Florida Marlins. Yep. It, he won a, a very early in his career and then, oh, you know, three. went followed the money in Detroit and hit so good in Detroit. Was a triple crown winner in 2012. Yep. Which is very, very rare, by the way. 17th player ever to hit for the triple crown. The first to do so in 45 years up to that point. So, this is the thing. He was 20 years old when he got called up. At that point, he was playing third base and some shortstop. Um, so, I mean, this guy has had an illustrious career. Top five player since the turn of the century. Since 2000, he is a top five player in Major League Baseball. So, why is it not being discussed? I mean, where, where would he stack up in your eyes in terms of best first baseman in the history of Major League Baseball? Just off the top of my head of the first pitch I'm thinking of, Pujols would probably be number one, and then Cabrera a very, very, very close second. Because like I said, we were watching two of the best first basemen of all time, you know, basically trying to win the MVPs of their respective leagues growing up. Pujols with the Cardinals in the National League, Miguel Cabrera with the Tigers in the American League. Guys would consistently bat in the 280 to 300 range hit 40 to 50 bombs, drive in 100 to 130 runs. You don't do you, you just don't see that anymore. You don't. It's very very rare. Like you said, 27 people out of 20,000 have hit 500 home runs and you said what? How many have hit 3000 have gotten 3000 hits in 500 home runs? There have been there's six seven. so far. Six, six so far he would be the seventh. Where would be number 7? You just don't see that anymore. No. And we saw it. We were blessed with two guys that have done it while we were growing up. So with it being that sort of a number, you'd have to think in this generation and for generations in the past, Pujols is probably number one, though that might be a bit biased because, you know, I'm a very, very diehard Cardinal fan, and number two being Miguel Cabrera. But you, I can honestly see an argument where those two are flipped. Yeah, where I Cabrera's can see, number one and Pujols I mean, number two. I, I would put... Miguel Cabrera as the top as the best first baseman ever, but his his you know his stock at first base and being amongst the best first baseman ever is sort of diminished by the fact that when he won back to back MVPs in 2012 and 2013, he was a third baseman. He became a first baseman in 2014 because the Detroit Tigers signed Prince Fielder. Yeah, so that was when when they signed Prince Fielder. That was when things changed. So, it's one of those things. He he spent a lot of his career and had his best years, really, of his career at third base. So, I, I don't know if that necessarily diminishes his mark as a first baseman in Major League Baseball. But, you know, maybe he's a top 10 third baseman in the history of Major League Baseball and a top 10 first baseman in the history of Major League Baseball, which might even be more impressive mm-hmm. than just being the best first baseman in the history of the league. So, it's one of the... And, we're sitting here talking about this, and it's like we're overlooking this. Like, when are we ever going to see this again? I mean, who's going to be the next guy to do this? Could it be like Fernando Tatis, or could it be like Ronald Acuna Jr.? Because those guys are very young and putting up great numbers. Theor- I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know if Mike Trout can get there. I don't. He's 29 years old right now. He is at 1,400 career hits, 300 career home runs. So theoretically, yes, I think he, I think he, he could get to 500 home runs, but I, I don't know about 3,000 hits. I mean, he could average 
200 hits a year, and he would get there during his during the 2025-26 season, he would be 35, 36 years old at that point. Can he continue? I mean, I can. Who hits 200? Who gets 200 hits at 35, 36 years old? Ichiro Suzuki or guys like that. But okay, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but did Ichiro hit bombs? No. no. So he didn't play for Los Angeles, though. He played for an even worse franchise, the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, and this this season has really hurt him, Mike Trout. Yeah, he's only played in 36 games. The COVID shortened season last year, he only played in 53 games. He played in more games in 2019 than he has last season and this season combined by over 40. I mean, it's it's one of those things, and I, I hate to I hate for that to be where he falters is because of. The COVID shortened season in 2020 and an injury this year, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know if he gets there. And you know, we're put. I put a lot of stock into like Fernando Tatis and Ronald Acuna Jr. and maybe Vlad Jr. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Maybe he can get there. I don't. I don't know. But it's sad that we're overlooking one of the best players in the history of Major League Baseball. For, for some storylines that maybe aren't uh, storylines that really aren't as big a news. Now, okay, yes, the season that Shohei Otani is putting up right now deserves to be number one. It deserves to be on like the opening segment of Sports Center every freaking night because it's the best season in the history of Major League Baseball. Not even Babe Ruth is was did what Shohei Otani is doing this season. Yep. Okay, yes, Babe Ruth was a pitcher and a hitter, but he wasn't a hitter while he was a pitcher. You know, he was a pitcher early. He wasn't competing early. at a high level in both categories. Yeah, he was a pitcher early in his career and a great one at that when he was in Boston, but he wasn't batting in Boston. And then when he went to New York, he went away from being a pitcher and became a primary batter and an outfielder in a DH. That was what his career changed at that point. Now, I mean, who's to say what, you know, if Babe Ruth would have just come to Boston and been hitting the ball immediately, wasn't even considered a pitcher... Who knows? I mean, that might that man might have eight, nine hundred home runs in his career, but it's just the way it goes sometimes. But what Shohei Otani is doing is unlike anything that's ever been seen in the history of Major League Baseball. That deserves to be the number one headline and story in sports, especially Major League Baseball, but in all of sports. But what Miguel Cabrera has done in his career, him hitting 500, 500 home runs, deserve to have a lot more recognition among uh, among the news cycle than it got and that's pretty sad to me indeed indeed and yeah we're more focused on preseason football or what's going on with the NCAA with their season about to start the Pac-12 Big Ten and the ACC forming an alliance now basically leaving out the Big 12 telling them to go screw themselves basically because they're going to get gutted yeah they're just yeah it's going to be it's going to be a fire sale they're just going to try to get you know, uh, the Big Ten's already been talking to Kansas and Iowa State and K- Kansas State a little bit and whatever else. Yeah, I mean, unless the Big 12 can figure something out and figure it out quickly, it, they're going to fold. And these other school, these these schools within the Big 12 are going to have to find places to go. There's certain schools that are going to be able to find places. You know, I feel like Kansas and Iowa State would have a pretty good shot at a school like the Big Ten. Yeah. And, you know, West Virginia can go back to the ACC which is where they were to begin with. Right? They'll go right back there because they're in that area. Geographically, it makes sense for them. But there's going to be some schools. I mean, Baylor, TCU. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, Kansas State. Like, 
what are you guys going to do? Yeah. Kansas State and Oklahoma State, maybe they join the, the Pac-12. I, I don't know. But aside from that, I'm not really sure what, what these schools are going to be able to do. A lot of uncertainties, and I'll tell you what, being a fair-weather college fan, I just I can't wait for it to unfold. Just have four mega conferences, like one in the Northwest, one in the Northeast, one in the Southeast, one in the Southwest. Just have it all burn. All the conferences, just giving it right back, basically giving the finger to the NCAA, telling them we can do whatever we want because, you know, money talks. So, speaking of the NCAA, just saw a headline here. LSU becomes first SEC school to require proof of vaccinations to attend games. Good for them. Good for them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I alluded to this a lot in previous podcasts, but, I mean, I'm not a fan of vaccine cards being, I guess, the new freedom to life, the new way of life, but, I mean, you adapt and die. You know, it it, it, it is what it is. Go get the vaccine. You'll live a more freedom, more free life. I mean, how is it's gonna be? It's gonna be more normal to have vaccine cards now going to any sporting event or any event in general. How is a vaccination card to go somewhere any different than like the the vaccination card you had to have for proof that you got your shots before you could go to school when we were kids? I don't know if a lot of people knew that, but we had cards. Like our parents had cards that, like when we went to school, right? You have to get your shots and all that stuff. Your parents had a card that they had to show your school to have proof that you are documentation of some kind that you got your shots so that you were allowed to go to school. I don't see how the vaccination card's any different. You have to have a driver's license in order to drive. You know, it, it, it's you have to have a passport in order to leave the country. It's all these no nobody's out here complaining and you know bleeping and moaning because they have to have a passport in order to go to Mexico or Cancun or whatever. I'm trying I'm I'm about I'm in the process of getting a passport right now because I've got a wedding that I'm going to not next year, but the following year, where we're we're going out to we're going to the DR, we're going to the Dominican Republic. I'm not complaining because that's a two or a three month process. A vaccination card is not that difficult to get. No, literally all you do is get the vaccine, and they will give you the card. Take the shot. They give you a card. Tell you to come back. My card's sh- in my wallet. Yeah, so do, so is mine. You get the shot. They tell you to, they give you a little check saying, okay, you got your first shot here and here with, with the brand. And then they're like, hey, come back in three weeks and you'll be all set. Come back in three weeks. So you got your second shot. Bada bing. You're there. You've got your ticket to freedom. Exactly. I, and now it's FDA approved. The, so go get the it. The Pfizer shot is yeah. approved by the FDA. Which is what I got, by the way. The Moderna shot, which is what I got, is currently in the process. They think in the next couple of weeks it should get FDA approval. I haven't heard much about Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. A the, the shaky, Johnson, yeah, yeah, a little shaky vaccine there. The Johnson and Johnson vaccine is for people that just didn't want to get the shot twice, right? They for just, sure. And that was I was I strongly considered just going and getting the Johnson and Johnson because I'm like it's just a one and done thing. But I didn't want to drive 25 minutes to Republic to get it, so I just drove to the CVS that was 10 minutes from my house and both twice. I did it twice just to get it done. But it it's one of those things that you know I understand people's frustration with it, and I mean. Right, you have to have a you have to have a license to hunt. You have to have a license to fish. You have to have a boater's license in the state of Missouri for people uh, born after like 1980. I want to say, yeah, you have to have a license to purchase a firearm. At least you should. That's that's <laughs> yeah, the way that it, should be it the general rule go. of thumb. Yeah, but you know, we know that there's side steps to that. There's loopholes and and such. Um, but it's like that with anything. 
in society in modern in first world society right america is a first world country it's like that with anything you know uh, with something dangerous like like a vaccine or or, or a, a deadly disease a, a gun uh, a boat it's anything a car you have to have it a, a license to, in order to operate or or be able to go out and experience things why why is this any different why do we have to why do we have to I think argue? it's just different in the fact that we haven't had to do anything like this before. Like, we've never had to go to a sporting event, go to a concert, go to an indoor facility and be like, hey, you have to have this to be in here. Because I, I guess nobody's – we've never seen an instance in American history where people have argued with medicine this much. That's true. I mean, they, they are, there are literal photos. If you look up, like, uh, uh, images of the polio vaccine, they would go into schools, and the kids would, like, line up along the wall. In school, and the doctors would just go right, pull the pull the shot out, give the kid the polio vaccine, and just go down the entire school. Every single kid in whatever school it was just lined up and got the vaccine. Same things with like businesses and whatever. Like nobody argued with it; they just got it. They just got the polio vaccine, and that's like my parents don't even. My parents, I mean, if you next time you're with your grandparents, you know, like ask ask to see their arm or something, you know, and they the, you're they very well might be a scar on your grandmother or your grandfather's arm from the polio vaccine. And then you look at your our parents, they don't have that that scar. Um, we don't have that scar because we didn't have to get the polio vaccine because our grandparents got it and eradicated it. It was gone. So it, it's one of those things that we've never seen an instance where people have argued with science this much before. And... Yes, to a certain extent, I can understand it. I do. Um, you know, I, I've got pe- people that I've had rational conversations with that they're, you know, waiting for the FDA approval. They they just don't know what's in it, the the side effects and so and so, which we've never known side effects for a vaccine ever. That's sort of the, the, the dice roll with a vaccine. Now, there's never, ever been a serious side effect to a vaccine. There, there have been isolated ones, right? Uh, I mean, a... Uh, a, a minuscule percentage, a point zero zero one percent of people, you know, like we're talking about, there have been over five hundred million uh, doses of the of the COVID vaccines dealt out to Americans, and like four people have they've it, in doing autopsies, it's been determined that they died due to an allergic reaction to the vaccine itself. Four out of almost half a billion. Right. That that's pretty good odds. Versus the number of people who have gotten COVID versus died from COVID, that percentage is a little bit higher. So I'm willing to I'm willing to roll the dice on that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, I mean, I'm not 100 percent sure if it's just the science in it or just the fact that it's becoming more forced. Like you have to have now jobs with it. You know, uh, I saw earlier today, uh, actually earlier yesterday, that uh, Cox Health, one of the local hospitals here. Uh, their director, Steve Edwards, is now requiring that now that's FDA approved, you get the vaccine in order to work. And there's that's, been a, hospitals have always done that. My yeah. mom, my mom always tells a story. Um, she worked in human resources at a hospital, and you know she wasn't even, she wasn't a nurse, a doctor. She had nothing to do with the patients. She worked in human resources at back in the back with all the 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 numbers pushers, right, the the paper pushers and everything. But when she got hired on, she was required. To get like five or six different uh, different shots, different vaccines, including one that she already had, but her levels were low, so she had to get that shot again. 
You know, it, it, hospitals have always done that. So I don't understand why this is this is so different. It's just it's one of those things. And, you know, now that we're getting FDA approvals, I'm I'm confident that a lot more people are going to get the shot. And we're we're going to I'm just I'm just over it, man. I'm just I just want to see this thing in the rear view. And hopefully with the FDA approvals now coming out, we will get to that point. I, I feel like that is we're trending in the right direction when it comes to the FDA approvals now being put in place. That means that, you know, the Food and Drug Administration, which is sort of the end-all, be-all of the medical industry, if they if they say it's safe, now they've approved some stuff that hasn't been so safe, as is the risk you take with medicine in general, but it, when the FDA approves something, people have a tendency to believe them. You know, they, they take a lot of stock in that. So maybe that's what gets us finally getting people in mass quantities again, getting the COVID vaccine and getting this thing behind us and, and moving on. I'm just ready to move on. I am too. I thought we'd be past this by now, to be honest with you. I thought we'd be past wearing masks indoors in August 2021. I thought in August 2020 we'd be past this by the summer, which it's late summer, yet we're still having to wear masks because of the Delta variant, because of those who got unvaccinated, who are st- continue to be unvaccinated. And those who are in hospital beds right now on ventilators because they chose not to get vaccinated. So, I mean, like I said, make your choice, but make it, you know, do your research and then make your choice. And like I said, the FDA approval should be the nail in the coffin as to whether or not you should get the vaccine or not. The Pfizer vaccine, at least. Now, the Moderna, I'm sure, is going to get approved. And then at some point, Johnson Johnson is going to get approved. And, you know, hopefully we get back to normal. Hopefully we don't have to wear masks inside and give our little token card our golden star to people at indoor facilities and just move on from life call it segregation all you want it's just it's just i don't know it is what it is it is what it is and it'd be like that sometimes i'll tell you what it's been like sometimes for the royals lately a lot of winning what's going on with these guys man like (laughs) they're just winning games in which they shouldn't last week hosted a series with the astros Took three out of four there in Kansas City. Uh, home cooking, you know. It, eh, things can happen. It's baseball. You know, who knows? Sweep the Cubs. And poor Cubs. I'm not going to riddle that any further as them being a good team. But then they begin a series, a three-game series, with the Houston Astros. In Houston, nonetheless. And they win 7-1. to one. They're getting a lot of good pitching. They're getting a lot of timely hitting. Salvador Perez continues to hit home runs as a catcher, by the way. And the Royals... I, I, the Cardinals need to the Cardinals need to have a deep discussion with the Royals and how they can get some winning going on right now because they're doing it. Winning against teams that they shouldn't have. As for the Cardinals, they're losing games that they shouldn't. But Royals with a big win last night, 7-1 against the Astros. Daniel Lynch was very, very good. Only went five, but only gave up one run through five innings. And really, I think a big key in this run, Logan, has been their young pitching showing up. They're not prospects anymore. They're pitching to their potential, at least right now in this past two or three week stretch. And Dustin Lynch has been a prime example Daniel. of that. And I say Dustin. Yeah. yeah, Daniel Lynch. Daniel Lynch has been a prime example of that. With he struggled very early on in the season. And, you know, because of that he got sent back down. And then they called him back up July twenty fifth. Since being called back up on the twenty fifth, he is four and one with a two point two seven ERA. He only nine earned runs allowed in 35 and two-thirds innings pitched. 227 opponents batting average. 
in six starts. That is, those are, that's all-star type numbers for what he's been able to do. And he got a lot of help last night. Salvador Perez hit his 33rd home run of the year, which makes him now, he's top five for home runs in a season by an American League catcher. Carlton Fisk, Pudge Rodriguez, Terry Steinbeck, and Gary Sanchez are the only catchers with more. And there is a, re- I mean, it can be reasonably assumed that he could catch them. Carlton Fisk has the most home runs hit in one season by an American League catcher with 37. Salvi's got 33, and there's 40 games left. Five home runs in 40 games for Salvador Perez seems pretty manageable. So he could he could easily break the American League record for home runs in a season by a catcher, which is just unreal. He set a new career high last night. He hit his 81st RBI, um, most he's had in a season in his career. Uh, of course, that number still going, and it, it's it's an insane thing. You know, I've it, there's been a lot of discussion this season, uh, maybe through the last two or three years, of is Salvador Perez a Hall of Famer? Um, you know, all I th- all he's done, I think, this season is prove that I think he is. Now, it, it's he's not a first ballot or anything like that. He may get he may get voted in 20, 30 years from now. You know, it, now if he continues on the pace he's he's on. And he plays another four or five years, gets another three or four All Star games under him. Yeah, he could he could push himself into that first ballot Hall of Famer category. He could push himself into the top five, top three in home runs by a catcher ever. Um, he is on pace for the fifteenth season in MLB history of thirty five plus home runs and one hundred twenty five games or more by a catcher. Only the fifteen, only ton, oh, it's only been done fourteen times ever, and only three of those. Guys uh, among those 15 aren't Hall of Famers. So of the 15 times that it's happened, 12 of them have been done by Hall of Fame catchers. He has he is easily he's built a great resume. He is a multi-time All-Star. He is a multi-time Gold Glove winner, putting up one of the best hitting seasons by a catcher in, in the history of the American League. It's it's so much fun to watch. Whit Merrifield was a home run short of the cycle last night. Single, double, triple. He, he just didn't hit the home run. He managed to get the hardest one in the triple, but didn't hit the home run. But, I mean, I'm not going to complain about his performance last night. And I want to I want to bring up somebody that I don't think a lot of Royals fans and, and Royals you know, radio people and, and writers are talking about right now. And that's Domingo Tapia, who was a trade deadline Acquisition. Um, acquisition from the Mariners. Man, he's been good. And I'm I'm just boggled by the fact that this man has never really gotten a chance in his entire career. In twenty in last season in 2020, he pitched for the Boston Red Sox. He only pitched in five games. Four and a third innings pitch. He had a 2.08 ERA. And then this season, prior to being traded to the Kansas City, he only pitched in two games for the Seattle Mariners. Two. He only had two innings pitched and allowed four hits and two innings pitched, but didn't allow an earned run. In 15 games in Kansas City, he has got a 2.57 ERA and 14 innings pitched. He's only allowed six hits and 14 innings pitched. 14 strikeouts. 14 strikeouts and 14 innings pitched. That's insane. And if you look at the longer he's been in Kansas City, the more comfortable he's gotten. 
You know, it, his his third appearance after being traded to Kansas City was his worst performance in a Royals uniform so far. He allowed three earned runs in one inning against the, the Blue Jays in a 6-4 loss. He got the loss in that one. But he has not, he's only allowed two earned runs in the entire month of August in 11 innings pitched. He hasn't allowed an earned run since August 10th against the Yankees. He has pitched in seven games since that point without allowing, mind you, listen to this. He has pitched in seven games without allowing a hit. Not an earned run, a hit. He's got a 2.25 ERA in Kansas City. Lockdown. And at one point, after that game, after his last earned run allowed against the Yankees, he had a 3.86 ERA and has just slowly chipped away at that. He's been so good. And I'm just I'm just head-scratching at the fact that he was not used more in his two previous stops. And the fact that at 29 years old, this is his second major league season. And he is pitching this well in just his second major league season. I don't get it. I just don't I don't understand the lack of usage from a guy that seems to be putting up pretty stupid numbers in his in his in his career so far with a 2.21 ERA in in 22 games appeared in. And then uh, why has Emmanuel Rivera been called up and back down and up and back down this entire I don't why? Why? He's played more. He's played 4 games uh, in Northwest Arkansas in the AA Central and then played in 45 games for the Royals AAA affiliate, the Omaha Storm Chasers. He's played in 18 games for the Royals up in the majors and has a 295 batting average. He was 3 for 4 last night. Puts, puts that batting average up, like I said, to 295. He's 25 years old. So, you know, I was saying yesterday, maybe you can move Bobby Witt to third base. Maybe Emmanuel Rivera is the answer at third base. God no, I mean, who knows? Yeah, there's a lot of questions being asked. You could. There's a lot that you can do if you're Kansas City right now, and just can Bobby Witt play the outfield? Can Bobby Witt play center? Probably. If Bobby Witt can play center field, you've got. I mean, that looks pretty good. You put Bobby Witt in center. Witt Merrifield's in right field. Ben Intendi's in left field. You've got Rivera at third. Adalberto Mondesi at shortstop, Nicky Lopez at second. If he's healthy. And then next season, it'll still be Carlos Santana but at first Prada base. will be ready by then, you think? Maybe. By next season, I don't know. No, not maybe, next season, maybe but after, late, after his yeah, last season. After, after but, next yeah. year. Maybe he, he, I see Prado as probably a September call-up next year. Um, I could see Bobby Witt getting called up next week as part of the September call-ups um, for this team. Just sort of getting a little bit of time in the majors. And maybe with that, you can segue that into put him in center field at the start of spring training next year. And then maybe he's your opening day center fielder. I don't know. Um, Michael Taylor is on a one-year deal, so he'll be gone at the end of this season. So you'll see Carlos Santana at first base again. Maybe some Ryan O'Hearn in there as well. Ryan McBroom, possibly. He's been down in AAA for most of the year. So, but that's, that's exciting. To see a guy as bad as Hunter Dozier has been at third base this year. If Emmanuel Rivera can solidify an everyday spot at third base, 
improve his fielding a little bit because he has had some error issues. Um, if he can if he can solidify a spot as the, as the everyday third baseman, then you can put Bobby Witt at center field and right field or right field and use Witt at, uh, Witt Merrifield as a utility or even Bobby Witt as the utility if you so choose. With how good the young pitching has been, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe you don't have to wait as long as we thought we would. I mean, this team, I, I, I'm maybe I'm just being naive, but maybe this team could be a playoff contender next year. I think the White Sox are going to be the overwhelming favorite in the AL Central again, as they should be. Um, but I, I don't know if there's another strong team in the AL Central. The Indians aren't what the Indians used to be. The Tigers are on their way up. The Twins had an abysmal year this year when I thought they would probably be the second best team in the AL Central. Yeah. So who knows? You could vie for a wild card spot next year if you're the Kansas City Royals based on what is happening with young pl- the young players on your roster right now. Nicky Lopez is hitting over 280. Whit Merrifield's now hitting over 280. Salvador Perez is having one of the best hitting seasons by a sh- uh, catcher in American League history. Edward Olivares in yes, a small limited sample size is batting nearly 300. Andrew Benintendi is a 270-280 hitter. You know what you kn- you know Bobby Witt is one of the top prospects in Major League Baseball. Nick Prado is showing a lot of promise. He's got a lot of pop in that bat. Adalberto Mondesi is a great shortstop when he's healthy. And your young pitching has performed admirably since the All-Star break. Third best record in the American League since the All-Star break the Kansas City Royals have. Crazy. That's a, that's just baseball, though, and there's a lot to be excited for Royals fans, much less so for the Cardinal fans. Uh, St. Louis will be back in action tonight. Like I said, we alluded to facing off against the Detroit Tigers. Jack Floyd for the Cardinals will go up against Casey Mize of the Detroit Tigers. First pitch being set there for, looks like, 7.05. I'm trying to get the aft work here. Love modern technology. It's so beautiful, yet so ugly at the same time. Have you heard this story? 6.45 for the Cardinals. Um... Real quickly, though, before you get to your story, uh, Royals are back in action tonight against the Astros. Brady Singer, the two-pitch master, will go for the Kansas City Royals. Luis Garcia for the Houston Astros. But what story are you talking about? I saw this. I feel like I see this every year on this date. Um, but I saw it this morning. It felt like it needed to be discussed. Have you heard of Ray Caldwell? Ray Caldwell. Name does not ring any bells, no. Ray Caldwell was a pitcher... In Cleveland, um, in the early 20th century. On August 24th, 1919, he was one out away from getting the win in, a, in one of his starts. And what they many consider the most important start of his career, most important win of his career. He was one out away on the mound when he was literally struck by lightning. I should have saved this for Friday and done this for headlines, but that's fine. He was literally struck by lightning, knocked him unconscious. After being revived, some five to ten minutes later, he stepped back out on the bump and got the final out to win the game. After being struck by lightning, what in the actual hell? Actually, now that you... Brought that up. I did see that headline today on SportsCenter and on the SportsCenter Twitter page. If you go on the guy's Wikipedia page, the second sentence you see, 
is Caldwell was notorious during his playing career for his addiction to alcohol and partying. Sounds about right for so guys, maybe he guys was, in the early 20th century. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe he was just so hammered, so completely out of it, that he got struck by lightning, and when he woke up, he was just so sloshed, he didn't feel anything, got back on the mound, and got the win. That's Abs- crazy. Absolutely insane. He, he was a good pitcher. He really was. From 1910 to 1921, his last appearance, that was in 1919. He was in with the Cleveland Indians from 1919 to 1921. He pitched for the New York Highlanders slash Yankees from 1910 to 1919. He pitched for the Yankees before they were the Yankees. Yeah, the Highlanders. He was 134 and 120 in his career with a 3.22 ERA and over 1,000 strikeouts. Not bad. But yeah, he was struck by lightning. Struck by lightning. And continued to pitch. And then two weeks two That's weeks guts. later, listen to this. Two weeks later, he was struck by lightning August 24th, 1919. Two weeks later, on September 10th, 1919, he pitched a no-hitter. Huh? That's what, you, that's what you call catching lightning in a bottle twice. Who is this? Is this Thor? Who is this man? Who just survives a lightning strike and decides to go out and pitch a complete game, get the win, and then two weeks later says, yeah, I'm just going to go with a no-hit bid. Just just for, you know, S's and giggles. What <laughs> S's and giggles, nice term. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. What That is just absolutely bizarre. And then the next year, won a World Series with the Cleveland Indians in 1920. Uh, what? <laughs> you know... I didn't know the fact that he was, you know, notorious for partying and being drunk, being sloshed. I actually wonder how sloshed he was whenever that happened. Because usually when you get struck by lightning, probably hurts because it's electricity going through your body. And this dude just stands up or regains consciousness and then throws the final out of a game. Well, this is not uh, great for him. Um, In his last season, in his second to last season with the Yankees in 1917... The Highlanders. Um, yeah. They were the Yankees back at this point in oh, okay. 1917. Okay, okay, okay. Yep. yeah, yeah. Um, at least according to this, you know, Wikipedia is wrong. So yeah, Wikipedia can be wrong. So it I'm not, wrong. I'm not, I'm going to take it with a grain of salt. But this says that they were the Yankees at this point. Um, in 1917, he did not play much. He, he still went 13 and 16 with a 2.86 ERA, um, but he didn't get nearly as many starts as his other the other pitchers on the staff because during the course of the season. He had a self-imposed team suspension, a team-imposed suspension for getting drunk and failing to report, which was not the first time that he had done that in his career. Some months later, he was arrested and charged with grand larceny about halfway through the season for stealing a ring and was also taken to court by his wife, who sued him for alimony after he abandoned her and their son. So this guy was not a great human being. But, you know, does have one of the greatest stories in sports for being struck by lightning, waking up after being revived. He didn't just, like, wait. He didn't just, like, pass out. No, he was unconscious and had to be revived on the mound. Got back up on the bump, got the final out to finish the complete game, and then threw a no-hitter two weeks later. Baseball. It's crazy. Uh, You talked about good and bad humans and good players. Uh, something we forgot to mention yesterday, but since today is Mamba Day, absolutely August twenty fourth, uh, Kobe Bryant would have been forty three yesterday. But of course, uh, tragic accident and really just a precursor for how twenty twenty was. But 
no, just, man, I've told this story multiple times, but Kobe was basically the reason why I'm, one, a Lakers fan, and two, just a basketball fan, because growing up in the uh, mid to late 2000s, it was always, you know, like you said, Celtics versus Lakers, best rivalry in the NBA, if not in all sports. But watching him play on a night-to-night basis, and of course the Lakers were really good because of him, so they'd be on like national television, which is why I, from the Midwest, am a Lakers fan. I know it doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, you're thinking down here you're a Grizzlies fan or a uh, Oklahoma City Thunder fan, maybe even a Chicago Bulls fan. But watching him compete on a nightly basis in the finals and throughout, and then watching him compete after those finals runs just willing teams, Lakers teams that weren't very good, him continuing to win with the Lakers and just the mentality he had with everything that he did and then carried on being a father after he retired from the NBA, you couldn't not root for the guy. You couldn't not be a person where you're just like, oh, well, he's not a role model for me. If everybody in the United States or in this world had the mentality of Kobe Bryant, who knows what we could do. Yep. It's I miss him, dude. It's terrible. I cr- Ugh. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, for for people that are in older generations than us, uh, I mean like for me, I I remember 9/11 a little bit. I was I was 3. I was 2. Three, I don't three and a half. Um I I was going on 4. Um I was at preschool and I remember like very early in the morning, my grandma came and got me from preschool, which was very out of the ordinary, and she was crying, and she was upset, and we went back home, and my parents came home from work, and I didn't really know what was happening. I mean, my little brother was was not even a year old yet. My little sister wasn't born yet, so I don't remember that well. There are, there are certain things in, in people's lives that they remember where they were when when they found out when the news broke, you know, um, my my grandmother always talks about she knows exactly where she was when JFK died, when Martin Luther King Jr. died, when Elvis died. Um, of course, like my parents and my grandparents with 9/11, they they remembered exactly where they were at. Uh, the 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 space shuttle Challenger when it when it exploded, uh, they remembered where they were. For me, there are uh, very few things that I, I remember exactly where I'm at, you know, and. A lot of them have to do with sports. Um, I, I will always remember my first vivid Iowa Hawkeye sports memory was um, the 2005 Capital One Bowl. It was New Year's Day, 2005. It was like the first major holiday that my family had spent together since my since my grandpa had passed, my dad's dad, and we were at my grandparents' house, and I was six, almost seven, and. Iowa was playing like the defending national champion LSU with Nick Saban back when Nick Saban was their head coach, Jamarcus Russell at quarterback, all that, and um, which Jamarcus was a freshman at that point. That was the year after the national championship, um, and Iowa won on like literal last play of the game as time expired, like a forty-five yard touchdown pass to win the game, and that was what sort of made me an Iowa fan right then and there. Um, I will always remember where I was. When I found out about um, the the like when they finally found Osama bin Laden and killed him, yeah, I, I always remember that, and I will always remember where I was 
whenever um, I got the news about Kobe Bryant. I was at my apartment in college up in up in Maryville, Missouri, and it was a it was a Saturday, I believe. I think it was a Sunday. Su- Saturday. It was a weekend. I know that. Um, I was at my apartment just hanging out, playing video games, watching TV. There's college basketball going on that day, so we're watching that. My younger brother comes over to the house, and you know he's like, uh, "TMZ just said Kobe died," and of course I was. I look at Coleman and I'm like, dude, it's TMZ. Like, they're obvious. Like, don't put a lot of stock into TMZ. Like, they lie about crap all the time. You know, like it feels like once a year, TMZ comes out with an, art- with an article that said that that says Bon Jovi died or something. And so, like, you know that that. And then you know, once like CBS and NBC, ABC, CNN, all these other all these other news sites are coming out with this news also and it was just it tore your heart out and me and my brother just sort of like you said excuse me we just sat there and cried it was hard because we're we are a part of that younger generation that i was i was born during michael's last season with the bulls you know I I don't of course I don't remember that. Sure. The Michael Jordan I remember watching play was like the 2002-2003 Michael Jordan with the Wizards, which that man was still getting buckets with the Wizards. But it wasn't the Jordan that my dad was used to watching. My my parents were used to watching. So Kobe was sort of it, you know, Kobe and LeBron and watching those two go at it and Kobe played so much like Jordan did and he just went about it the right way and just a good dude. I mean, all in all, he was a great father. He was a great husband. And 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 it's both comforting and sad to know that, you know, him and his daughter, D- Gigi, they died doing what they loved most, which was basketball. They were going to bat they were going to his his little facility. To go play basketball, to go practice, to work out, all that. I mean, that's just what they did. And, you know, it. Uh, all the news comes out. It was, Kobe was an avid helicopter guy. He, he wasn't, of course, flying it, but he rode in helicopters all the time because it was one of the easiest ways to get around L.A. because traffic is insane. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was just a wrong place, wrong time with, with the weather that was going on that day. And, and it's a sad thing. And it's something that, you know, we're not used to seeing in the NBA, you know, um, in in the NFL, with all the injuries and things that go on, it it's one of those things like we we see legends pass in the NFL and even in the MLB way sooner than than they should, right? Way too young, but we don't really see that in the NBA. Some of the legends that that we can think, I mean, like Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic, Jerry West. Bob Coos, I mean, these guys are still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's Bill Walton, who's calling games for ESPN. He started playing basketball in the early 70s. and uh, I mean, like, the legends of basketball. Oscar Robertson, they're still alive. And we expected Kobe to follow that same trend. We expected to, to see Kobe at, the, you know, giving out an award at the 2050 NBA Finals in his 80s. You know that's just what we what we thought was going to happen, and it just it didn't, and that was that it's heartbreaking 
it, it's heartbreaking to think that his his wife and his other daughters are are going to have to grow up without their dad, grow up without their sister, and uh, a legend in the game of basketball gone gone way too soon. But it, it's it's important to keep his memory alive, keep the Mamba mentality alive, because you know he showed us how to go about it the right way, how to work your ass off to get to where you need to be. And that's what he did and had a ton of success doing that. And, and, and more people need to need to follow that blueprint. A lot more people do, dude. And I had your same initial reaction because I remember exactly where I was. And I, I hate the fact because you said you knew where Osama bin Laden, where you were whenever he was killed in 2011. I personally don't remember that but then again I was I won't I'd only be a year younger than you so I I don't know I just don't remember it specifically but uh back to Kobe I was sitting in my house uh playing video games how I could have been playing 2k at the time who knows I was sitting in my house and I get a notification from Twitter and it says it's a headline from TMZ reports Kobe Bryant has passed away in a helicopter crash I'm thinking all right, is this really a joke? Like, is this real? Because, it, like, I, I had your initial reaction. It's TMZ. You know, if something like this is going to happen, I'm pretty sure the first thing I'm going to hear from is, like, either CNN, Fox News, uh, whatever, whoever, on Twitter. So I'm, like, reading more and more into this, and, like, more and more people are reacting to it on Twitter, like, oh, my goodness, Kobe's dead. Oh, my goodness. And I, at that time, honestly, I still didn't believe it. So I finally turned on my TV and went through all the news stations, and finally, after a lot of surfing, I go into Fox News, and there it is, main headline, Kobe Bryant passes away in helicopter crash. And I honestly didn't know what to do with myself. Like, you, it's one of those things where your eyes see it, but you your mind just doesn't comprehend it. Because you think of Kobe Bryant with all he's done with for basketball, uh, as a father, like you said, and a husband, you think he's immortal. Yeah, you, th- you think you think he's a legend. You think the guy's untouchable. Ten foot. Uh, my parents used to say, ten foot tall and bulletproof." Exactly was what you thought Kobe Bryant. He was he was a legend. He was larger than life. Yeah, and you just see it like you think about, and like you said, you talk about the older players like Oscar Robertson, Bill Wall. And you think, okay, well, he's going to have a long life. He'll be a maybe a basketball coach for his younger daughters, um, be an ambassador for basketball like he was as a player. You just think he's going to do all these things in life and live a long life, die at like, you know, 90, 95. Like you said, be like Bill Russell who hands out like the NBA trophy in his late 80s, early 90s. You just think that's going to happen. And the fact it all just ended like that, man, like I said, I couldn't comprehend it. And that night I was going to a Hall of Fame social for the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. And, you know, one of my, Don West was getting inducted. And yet, I was still trying to comprehend what was all going on in my mind. And I I couldn't focus for the rest of the day. Then finally, the next day, it finally hit me that, dude, he's gone. He's not coming back. And, um, yeah, like you said, tears were shed. Because yep. this is the guy, this is the man, the player, the legend that got me to love basketball. That got me to love the Lakers. And now he's gone. Yeah, it's it's a really it was a really sad turn of events and you know, like you said I grew up a Celtics fan, but 
I, you couldn't hate Kobe. Uh, I had nothing but respect for the way that he carried himself both on the on the floor and off of it um, from such a young age. I mean, at 18 years old. And yeah, he had he had issues throughout his life. But, Everyone does. But he worked through them, and, and, and he came out the other side a better person, a better man, a better father, a better husband for that. And you can't expect anything more, anything less from, from somebody. And with with what he was able to do throughout his career, both for the game of basketball, but for, for so many other things, you know, he, the guy won an Oscar before he died. I mean, a basketball player for turned, a short film, uh, yeah. Dear Basketball, yeah. And it's, I, mean, I don't know if you've seen it, I but it's, not. it's I need so to. good. And uh, his, uh, Kobe Bryant's Muse, uh, the documentary that sort of follows his his last year of his career after the Achilles tear and his, his, his rehab coming back from that. Um, it's it's one of those things that I don't care if you were a Celtics fan. I don't care if you were a Celtics fan or or whoever you were a fan of. You know, I, I feel like there of any fan base, the Celtics fan base might have been the one that was, you know, the most going at Kobe, I guess. I, I can't find a good word there. They were the ones that had the most animosity towards towards Kobe because of the Lakers Celtics rivalry because Kobe beat the Celtics in the finals. But hey, sort of the, the Celtics. Celtics also beat Kobe in the finals. I, I just want to point that out. Um but it, it's one of those things he was such a good person, such a good player that you had no choice but to respect him as a person, as a father, as a husband and as a player because he was along with LeBron the best player the, those two, two best players this this century. Since since 2000, they, they're the two best. They are one and two since 2000 on that list. And, and both of those guys are top five, top ten players in the history of the National Basketball Association. So I, I, I want to I close out the podcast with something, uh, turning in a little different direction, okay? Let's get a little bit more happy, a little bit more local. Sure. Okay. Yeah. The Missouri State women's basketball team just released their non-conference schedule. Just got this on Twitter from... Oh, is this breaking news? Breaking news from the Wyatt Wheeler on Twitter. You know, the Springfield News Leader, the co-host of Sports Talk with Art Haynes, Wyatt Wheeler, just put out the Missouri State Lady Bears non-conference schedule. And they have got some doozies. They've got some great opponents. So, first game of the year is going to be November 1st against Missouri Baptist. It's going to be an exhibition game because Missouri Obviously. Baptist is a small school. And then right. they have another exhibition after that, uh, Friday the 5th of November, against Lincoln, um, M- an MIAA opponent in Lincoln. Yeah, and then, you, know, sure, you know a lot about them as well, I'm sure. I, I do, certainly do. They've got a good men's basketball program. Then their first actual game, their first you know, c- counts towards the record, will be against Little Rock. That is a road game in Little Rock, Arkansas. And then they will take on the University of North Texas in Springfield for their uh, home regular season opener on Sunday, November 14th. And then, I mean, they've got a stretch here, let me tell you. November 17th, they go to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State. Sunday, November 21st, they travel all the way to Los Angeles, California to to take on USC. Then 
they go to a uh, non-conference tournament. Well, they will play back-to-back games November 25th, 26th and 27th against Virginia Tech and Louisiana State. And then December 3rd, William Jewell comes to town. Then they will play South Dakota State University on December 6th. And then they will close out their non-conference schedule with the University of Missouri on December 10th in Springfield, Southern University on December 18th in Springfield, and then the University of Toledo on December 21st, also in Springfield. I mean, that's a good non-conference slate. A lot of competitive teams, and we talked about it before. With Missouri State Lady Bears, you know, they're kind of now expected to be in the tournament, to be in the dance. perennial Sweet 16 team. Yeah, but now can they get past the Sweet 16? That's their goal now. Like, can you get past the Stanfords, the Baylors, the... Uh, UConn's, the Baylor's, you know, those teams of that world, can you get past them now? And a good non-conference schedule like this can only help them out. Yeah, shows you how you stack up before you head into Missouri Valley play, which Missouri State women's basketball team should be the unequivocal favorite to win the MVC this season again. So I, I would imagine that, you know, being able to take on some some great non-conference opponents, some Power 5 teams, is only going to help them in the long run. So it, it's it's going to be a good test for them. And, of course, to be able to have the, the Missouri-Missouri State matchup as well is, is a great thing to have within the state. So it's I'm very, very impressed with what Coach Mox and company were able to put together with this non-conference schedule. Yeah, another uh, one more uplifting headline here before we go out of here. J.R. Smith has been cleared by the NCAA to play collegiate golf at NCANT. That's so cool. That's great. I love J.R. <laughs> of course, he has that always infamous blunder he had in the NBA Finals for Game 1, but no, I love J.R. And I hope he does well with golf. He just had fun playing the game of basketball. He did. And, you know, he is he's one of those guys. He was one of the last guys to skip college. He was one of the one of the last true. straight to Go the pros straight to guys the pros. from high school to the NBA. So he never got the college experience. And yeah, obviously you're not going to allow the guy to come back to play college basketball. Right? Yeah, like, no kidding. That, that, that's a head scratcher that doesn't make any sense. But you know, golf is of golf. I have so much fun playing the game of golf. You know, uh, my fiance and I are moving into an apartment next weekend at the Greens. North of north of town, um, comes with a free golf membership, so can't wait to play a ton of golf. Um, but good for Jr. He's getting a ch- he's going back to school, yeah. Going to get a chance get to get his, his degree. degree, and he's going to get to play golf, which is a fun game. He's an avid golfer, he's notoriously been known as an avid golfer. Avid golfer, as are a lot of professionals. You know, guys that are playing in other sports. Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, um, Brady, and Manning. Those guys are all notorious golfers. Aside from the sport that they are at the top of their game playing. Yeah. So, I love that the NCAA was able to grant him that. Um, now the NCAA needs to do a better job with some of their other things. Got to do something in your offseason. You know, it, it, allow guys that get hurt to to come back and get another year. Um, which they are doing a better job of that with, like, the I know college football, like, you can play in four, four or less games and you can still be declared eligible and blah, 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 blah. But... Um, I, I, the NCAA made a good call, I think, here. 
I in, think in so allowing too. this to happen. Yeah, and I'm glad for Jr. And yeah, like I said, you got to do something in the off season. And this you're is, a football player, baseball player, basketball player, whatever. Jr. being able to play golf, to go back to college and play golf, is put all of that. The allowing this to happen falls completely on the shoulders of the NIL passing. The passing of NIL rights and being able to profit off your name, image, and likeness is the reason why J.R. Smith is able to go back to college and play golf. That's awesome. And yeah. I love it. And it's just one more reason why I'm happy that the NCAA was knocked down a peg and NIL rights were implemented in college sports. Indeed. Indeed is the case. I'm glad for J.R. <laughs> it's just a cool thing to be able to go back to college and play golf. Yeah, I mean, Im- like- imagine being... One of your classmates, and you got J.R. Smith sitting next to you in class. Imagine being the guy that lost his scholarship to J.R. Smith. <laughs> Who lost the spot on the roster to J.R. Smith. Yeah. Like, how can you even be upset with that? Be like, I feel like at some way you probably could because you yeah, just lost. Yeah, you'd obviously be upset. I mean, like, I lost my roster spot. But it's like, I also lost my roster spot to J.R. Smith. I lost my roster spot to a 15-year NBA vet. I'd be more confused than upset, honestly. I would think that's super cool, but I would also be pissed because I just lost my chance at going to college for free. <laughs> Fair enough. Just, just one of those things. That is true. That's true. All right, we got to get out of here. Logan, always a pleasure. We'll do it again tomorrow on Hump Day, baby. Absolutely. Yes, Getting sir. ready. Getting ready for Friday. Oh, yeah. That's when, you know, I keep talking about the that's NFL. When it, that's when it hits the fan. It, the NFL season's getting ready to start. College football starts on Saturday. But football season kicks off on Friday night under the lights. Yeah, and beforehand, we're going to be hosting Sports Talk. And that, in of itself, the it may hit the fan because you're going to be in Skyline. I'm going to be in Carl Junction. And we're somehow going to do a Sports Talk yeah, show it's gonna for be, two hours. It's going to be fun. I'm going to have to come in tomorrow what i may do tomorrow prior to us doing this podcast is i'm going to sit down with you and we're going to go over a couple of times uh how to connect the tie line okay. I, I know how to connect the tie line i've done it a couple of hundred times but um i've never done it with like the hot spot that we use here at the station so i want to sit down with you and get a little bit more comfortable because i don't want to drive all the way up to skyline by myself and completely forget how to plug this tie line in and then i'm like uh tom i don't know what to do i can't um, connect fair enough but what's Tom going to do? He's in Florida right now. I mean, that's fair. He's going to be back on Friday. Oh, that is? Okay. He's, he's doing a game on CityLink. CityLink TV. Yes, sir. So we'll be that's doing, where I got my start. Yep. We'll be doing Willard Tigers. You I'll yourself over yeah, there, I'll Matthew Frizzell. Uh, me, myself, I'm doing the Skyline Valley Catholic game, which is going to be so good. Such a good Class 1 game. Um, definitely going to be a step up in competition from the eight-man high school football games that I'm used to calling over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and then CityLink TV, Tom is doing a game. I cannot remember off the top it's of Glendale my head. It's Glendale versus West Plains. Glendale, West Plains. You're right. You're right. He's going, yep. So it, going it, to West Plains. Yeah, God. going to West Plains. So we've got a great sl- uh, slate of games to do. And then, you know, then we have the fifth quarter afterwards where we'll have Ned Reynolds and Tyler Rogers. Uh, going over scores from around the area, talking with area coaches as well. And we'll talk about that more for those of you listening. We'll talk about that more on Friday when we are hosting Sports Talk prior to prior to the game starting. So be sure to tune into that. And I uh, hope you guys have a great day. Yes, sir. See you guys tomorrow.